as I expect you'd guess, today's first reading from Acts of the Apostle tells us exactly what happened on that first Pentecost Sunday. And uh, although I'll give you the page number for those who want to actually follow it, you may prefer just to sit with your eyes closed and imagine that you are there in that room where all this took place, because it says, suddenly a sound, uh, sorry, they were all together in one place. We are all together this morning in one place. So let's imagine that we are in the same place that those disciples were on that Pentecost that Sunday, the beginning, the birthday of the church. So just sit with your eyes closed if you'd like to, and just imagine, imagine it all. Relive it. Let it come to life. Let the Spirit move within you as we listen to this glorious reading. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've all had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above 
and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood, but the coming of the great and glory before the great and coming day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. And now would you turn to John's Gospel? If you'd like to stand, stand, but if you prefer to sit, sit down. John's Gospel, chapter 14, beginning to read at verse 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, all who have faith in me will do the works I have been doing, and will they, do, they will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And passing to verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord. Shall we pray? Holy Spirit, 
you are welcome here today. Come and teach us more about you for your glory. Amen. So there's this really famous passage in Acts, isn't there, we've had this morning. We all know it so well. So we see all the disciples together in one place before they were baptised in the Holy Spirit. So why were they there? First of all, they were being obedient to Jesus' command in Acts 1 to wait for the gift the Father had promised. I don't know about you, but I'm not very good at waiting for gifts. You know, when it's Christmas, I'll um, have a little shake and a squeeze and a rattle, and I might even just tear the paper accidentally. But they were patient, weren't they? They waited nine, ten days until the Holy Spirit came. Secondly, they believed the instruction. They'd been with Jesus long enough to trust that what Jesus said would happen would indeed do so. They'd just had the most amazing few weeks, a real roller coaster ride from the depths of despair at the crucifixion and their disappointment, then disbelief and elation at the resurrection. So they believed something important was about to happen. And their eyes were fixed on Jesus. And they were expecting something. <clears throat> they didn't know what. They didn't know how. They didn't know when. But they knew they had to stay there until this something happened. And then they were baptised. But they weren't just baptised. They were baptised in order to be equipped and given ability. I love the Amplified, which says, you will be introduced to the Holy Spirit. That signifies to me someone that they didn't really know up till that point. This expression, baptised in the Holy Spirit, has been a phrase that's caused loads of problems in churches over the years. But it's Jesus' expression. And if we consider that Jesus didn't start his ministry until he'd been baptised by John and saw the Holy Spirit land on him, then how do we imagine that as mere ordinary people we can manage without his presence in our lives? So what happens when people receive the Holy Spirit? Well, here there was wind and fire. They are signs of God's presence and power. They spoke in tongues and they prophesied. However he comes, the Holy Spirit is different for each person because he deals with us as individuals. But most people will testify that they have experienced something. Many people speak of warmth, some of this amazing sense of love, some of power, some of peace, some cry, and some laugh. Have you heard anyone laugh in the spirit? It is just so lovely. And you're just curled up with them. I mean, But whatever happens, the Holy Spirit makes Jesus more real. I consider myself very fortunate to have been born into what would now be described as a charismatic church. 
where the Holy Spirit was not only recognised, but he was welcomed and present and consulted about everything. This came about when the then vicar was studying the Acts of the Apostles and wondering what the difference was between the early church and the church nowadays. He came to the conclusion it was the Holy Spirit. So there was a lot of prayer and seeking the Lord. And early in 1963, long time ago now, the Holy Spirit fell during an all-night prayer meeting. My husband had not been a Christian long then, and some, he was talking to some friends, and they were wondering whether to go to this meeting about the Holy Spirit. So John asked, well, well, what is the Holy Spirit? What's it all about? And they replied, it's just about having more of Jesus in your life. Well, he said, what are you dithering about? Of course we want more of Jesus in our lives. So they all went, and there was teaching, and then a coffee break, so that there was no hype, no emotionalism, and afterwards everyone lined up and had hands laid on them, and they received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I didn't join that church until 1967, but the teaching on the Holy Spirit and the gifts and how to handle them was balanced and practical. There was no emotionalism, no hype, and everything was kept in order. So, back to Acts. What happened to them? Well, they were given a new language, tongues. What is tongues? It's actually a, a perfect prayer to God. And it's very, very important gift because it builds you up. You know, you plug your mobile in every day and charge it up. Well, this is like charging us up. It is only one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's not a sign of being filled. There's plenty of people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, but they don't speak in tongues. It's not the most important gift. And it isn't a gift that overwhelms you. You are in control. And there is no room for pride that I have it and you don't. There's no first and second class citizens in God's kingdom. So why is this such a helpful gift? Well, it's really, really helpful in praise and worship. And you can sing in the spirit. I don't know about you, but after I've done a few hallelujahs and Lord, you're, you're amazing, you're gracious, you're, and I've gone through it all, then I've run out of words, but the Holy Spirit gives me words that I haven't got for the Lord. And it's really, really useful when you just don't know how to pray for someone or a situation. I can remember a young man landing up on our doorstep. His wife had not long had a baby. She'd been rushed into hospital seriously ill, and he was literally left holding the baby, plus three other small children. And that he was managing reasonably well, but this particular day, the washing machine had broken, and that was the last straw. And John took him in the study, and he said, I didn't know how to pray with him. So in the end, I prayed in tongues over him. He said, I don't know what God did, but he certainly touched him. He almost danced down the drive. He was just changed. 
The Holy Spirit's important too because he opens the door to other gifts. In order for uh, the gifts to be used, they need to be managed properly and there are certain rules for use. Our private tongue is for our own private use and is to be used under your breath if you're in a meeting. There is nothing more annoying than trying to pray your prayer to God and concentrate on it with somebody babbling what sounds like a load of nonsense beside you and loudly. And you just can't concentrate. So we need to be considerate with one another. But a public tongue is when you just get that little push from the Lord to speak it out loud. The remainder of the congregation then need to wait for an interpretation. This is an interpretation, not a translation. Therefore, it may come as words, or it may come as a picture, or it may come as both. There might be confirmation from two people. But it's necessary to wait quietly until the interpretation comes. So then what do we do? Well, it's only polite to respond. Can you imagine how it must feel to God to have spoken to us and then be totally ignored and we go on praying about something else? So we need to remember to pray in what we perceive so it goes deep into our spirit. Well, you might say we all have the Holy Spirit when we're born again. Yes, that's true. When we ask Jesus into our life, our spirit has been dead and it's regenerated and reborn, as Jesus talked about with Nicodemus. But this baptism or fullness comes quite often later. It would be ideal if everyone who committed their life to Christ was baptised there and then. But we see in Acts 8 and 19 that this gift came later on. And it's often the same with us. And sometimes, as John did, we need people to lay hands on us and pray for us to receive. As we look through Acts, we see again and again the Holy Spirit's influence on what the disciples did, even down to the choosing of men to distribute food to the widows. And one might say that was a fairly routine task. With the baptism, there is an impartation of power so that the one who receives is fitted and equipped for service. The Holy Spirit might be in us to bless us, but he's with us so that we can bless other people. His presence is with us for a purpose, and without his presence, we have limited ministry. I think it's fair to say the world's pretty much in a mess. There's loads and loads of brokenness and hurting people out there. And Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted So we need him in absolute fullness to help us do just that. Uh, Some years ago, I was doing an Alpha Holy Spirit day and someone said, I didn't realise the Holy Spirit was a person. If you think of the Holy Spirit as an it or power, you'll be anxious to have more of it. But if you think of him as a person, you'll be anxious for him to have more of you. Yes, it can feel a bit frightening to allow him freedom. But again, if we think of the Holy Spirit as a dove who is gentle, and if we remember that God is a God of order, after all, he brought order from chaos in Genesis, then it's not so scary. 
Yes, we'll make mistakes, but that's how we learn. And it's better to make mistakes than to do nothing. We do so like everything, all boxed up, don't we? All in order, neat and tidy, and we're under, we've got it under control. But that's the way we slip back into the flesh and traditions which don't have life. A friend of mine was um, in full-time ministry and early in the days of the Holy Spirit, he got up one morning and he thought, oh, I think I ought to go and visit somebody. And he went and he visited and they weren't there. So he was walking back to the bus stop and saying, what was all that about, Lord? And then he met someone at the bus stop and got chatting to this young man and led him to the Lord. He said, I guess that was the only way the Lord could have got me there. Nowadays, if he told me to go and stand at the number 37 bus stop, then I'd do it. So we learn as we go along. Fear is one of the greatest weapons of the enemy. He knows if we entertain fear, then he has won. Look how Peter's fear changed with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Not long before, he denied Jesus three times. Yet here he is, boldly declaring the gospel. He refers to the prophecy in Joel. His preaching is purposeful. Don't write off the Holy Spirit because of past errors, attitudes or excesses you may have encountered, which are usually created by our own fears, barriers or egos. Jesus says in Luke 11, what father, if his son asks for a fish, would give him a serpent? We are told not to grieve, quench, or resist the Holy Spirit. We can say no. Jesus will never push his way into our lives. He simply waits for our openness. But do we want to do that? And do we want the consequences of that response? Do we want limited ministry? The Holy Spirit unites people in greater love for him and each other. Because his voice is gentle, I wonder if we've often missed his work in our lives and not given him the glory for it. Ever felt prompted to visit someone? Telephone them? Send them a card or some flowers? Only to discover that that was just what they needed at that time. So I think we need to learn to recognise his voice a lot more. <coughs> Apart from the Holy Spirit's purposes in us, he is there to bring glory to the Father because God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. I don't know about you, but when I get a gift, I put my hands out and say, thank you very much. You don't ignore the giver and say, oh, stick it over there, I'll think about whether I want it later. And that's what we need to do with the Holy Spirit. Just put our hands out and say, yes, please. What we are filled up with is what will flow out of us. 